What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Behind the Glass Sports Podcast. We want to thank you for tuning in, whether you're finding us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Overcast, or Radio Public, or wherever else you're finding us. And also, huge shout out to you guys, 100 plays. Thank you guys so much for, for even pressing play, whether it was once or twice or even accidentally. You didn't even mean to hit our podcast and you accidentally played and listened to the first five seconds. It was like, well, that's, I don't want to listen to this crap. Uh, we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you if you're listening internationally. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Hopefully we're making this a fun experience for you. If you're listening all the way through, let us know how we can make it better for you. And uh, we'll try and do that in the meantime. If you want to follow us on Twitter at Brandon underscore stole for Brandon at Stephen Priest Jr. for myself. Before we get into anything, though, we are joined by Ryan Blackburn, site manager of the Denver Stiffs, host of the Nuggets Numbers podcast and the Denver Stiffs show. If you want to follow him on Twitter at NBA Blackburn for Ryan Blackburn. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to hop on with us today. Absolutely. Thank you, Stephen. How are you? I'm doing well, man. And uh, hopefully... You know, Nikola Jokic is doing well, as recently we got the news that he was exposed in his trip to Belgrade to someone, a player with the coronavirus on the team that he was watching. There was actually a picture on the Denver Post of him side by side talking to the player that eventually tested positive. What are your thoughts on this right now? Obviously, it's a concerning time with the virus and everything like that. But with the league trying to start up and get things going again, not the ideal time for your franchise player to uh, expose himself to to this virus. No, of course, it's it's a little bit scary. If if you're a Nuggets fan, you want to you want to have the healthiest Jokic if if at all possible. And with the rumors and with the the actual video evidence that we have that he's as skinny as he's ever been. It, w- it would be nice to to have him at peak physical condition. And, and when you see him potentially being exposed to a virus like that, that's at least a little bit scary if you're trying to root for the Nuggets' best successes. Uh, I I think that people have to continue to get through this, with get this through their head, that this virus is going to be exposed to players, no matter who you are, no matter what situation you're in. Uh, the bubble is going to do its best to prevent people from getting the virus, being exposed to the virus, but even the players, the Players Association, Adam Silver, people are talking about when players contract the virus, not necessarily if. I think it's a general expectation that this is this is something that people are going to have to deal with over the course of the next few months if we want to see basketball up and played. But if you're a Nuggets fan, I think it's it's just nice to see Nikola Jokic in great shape. You're, you're, if he is exposed to COVID-19, then at least it's it's been a f- six weeks before they're actually going to start playing basketball, and, and you hope that he's physically ready for when they do. Now, picks of Skinny Jokic did, on a more positive note, I should say, picks of Skinny Jokic was confirmed. I mean, this guy, he looks as skinny as he was pro- probably since his rookie year coming in. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at his photos from media day to where he was at now or recently. I mean, it's night and day. I mean, I, I think he had to have lost maybe somewhere close to 40, 50 pounds. I mean, he looks in great shape. Me and Brandon were discussing this. I believe it was last week. You know, it's it's great that you want him to to lose weight. But now it's almost to the point of, is he too skinny? Do you think there should be any fear of will he be able to to play the similar style? Because a lot of Jokic's game comes from his post 
uh, play, being able to kind of just bully guys and move guys around down there. Do you have any concern that losing that weight will change that or affect that in any manner? Well, I think it will definitely affect it, but not necessarily in a completely negative way. There are certain things that he does as a big physical player in backing players down, as you said, trying to get right under the rim, be a bully, if you will. But he also has the physical touch, uh, the skill set, even the shooting touch to be able to handle not necessarily getting to every place that he wants to go. He's one of the best in the NBA at shooting floaters, at hitting the mid-range jumper, one of the most efficient guys in the league in that respect. So I think it'll probably involve changing his game a little bit. It'll probably involve being a little bit more mobile as opposed to being a bully and being super physical. But the real reason why I'm excited about Jokic being as skinny as he is, is on the defensive end. Because when you get to the playoffs, when you get to a situation where you're facing a team like the Lakers or a team like the Clippers, those teams aren't going to physically bully him. They're going to try and use him and get out onto the perimeter and do what they can to put him in a spread pick and roll. And if he can't keep up, then those teams are going to score. They're going to come up with really good shots every single time. If Jokic is out there moving his feet really well, if he's disrupting passes, if he's contesting shots, that's the best possible thing the Nuggets can use to get an NBA championship down the line. Speaking of of NBA championships, is for this team and and we've all over the past year or two, we've talked about this team having an advantage with their chemistry and them just being able to keep this core together and and most of the team together. And take advantage of those of those moments that you know you can kind of at least with these breaks you know over the off season or whatever you can enter the season or in this case enter the the last eight games of the regular season and the playoffs with an advantage because you do have really good chemistry with this team. Is that something that you could see, I guess, affecting the the league? I guess uh, the the whole league, or is it just something that maybe it's just everyone kind of comes back. They can they kind of just get used to everything real pretty quick in a couple games, and it's just it's back to kind of where they were when the season got postponed. Or do you think the Nuggets can kind of take advantage of this and jump right in and maybe carry it through the first, second, and possibly use it to get to the to at least the Western Conference Finals? I know it's probably a cop out, but it's probably a combination of both. Just because you're you're in a situation that we haven't really seen before, where the, the teams have had this long break. By the time that they come back, it will be over four months of time that they haven't been playing basketball together. And we're going to see just how quickly those teams can get their chemistry back. Teams like the Milwaukee Bucks and the Los Angeles Lakers, they had done a really good job of getting the best possible chemistry. And that was over a long period of time and, and continuing to build that up. Now, can they recreate that? Can they get to a situation where they are consistently back on the same level that they were before? I don't know. Uh, you're, you're, you're in a situation with a team like the Lakers where they don't really have to do a lot around LeBron James and Anthony Davis in order to make things right. I think if you're the Nuggets, you're in a situation where you also are very similar to the Lakers. You know who your guys are. You know that Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are going to be your guys at the end of the game. You know that Will Barton is going to be kind of a freestyle creator and somebody who can both shoot when he's asked to or be the potential point guard in certain situations. Uh, the real wild card there, of course, Michael Porter Jr., we're still trying to figure that out. 
But the rest of the rotation is guys that have been there for the entire time. Guys of the, that have come to the Nuggets and are still trying to, they're trying to prove it all together, but they've been together for that. They understand their strengths and weaknesses as a team. And I kind of expect that to help them out. We'll see if that helps them enough to get past a team like the Lakers or the Clippers, but I think they'll at least put up a really good fight. And when you look at this team and, you know, we obviously know that they're talented and, and it's funny when you watch this team and you, and you watch the narrative surrounding this team, especially after they lose. And I, I know I fall victim into it many times, uh, just how frustrating they can be at times. I mean, it feels like, you know, early in the season, it was Jokic and the offense. They just couldn't get it right. And then they get that going. And it seems like there was times where the defense just couldn't get it going. And then before the all-star break, you really see them. Uh, put up a run and, and they look like finally the team that we saw last year. And then they come out of the all-star break and it's like, Oh my God, here we go again. It's, it's the same team. Just what, what, what is these, what are these issues that continue to plague them? We know that they're a talented team though. And you, I would say are probably more optimistic than Brandon and I, Brandon's probably a little bit more optimistic than I am um, in terms of this team and their chances this season. Obviously, things are different now with the pandemic and the suspension and how things are going to come back and all the impact with that. But if the season had stayed neutral, what what did you feel the, I guess, um, the the potential was of this team when it came to the playoffs? Did it, did it seem like a team that to you could have made it to a Western Conference Finals? Um, was it a team that you saw maybe struggling to get out of the second round again? How did you foresee them kind of shaping out this year? I think a lot depends on the opponents. I think you had a couple of teams in the Lakers and the Clippers who are really showing that they were true title contenders just behind having best possible players in the NBA and LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and throwing Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks into that conversation. And I think you've got your top three there uh, with those teams especially on the Lakers and Clippers side, they have all NBA caliber sidekicks and the Nuggets don't have that. Jamal Murray isn't quite at that level. He's not even at the all-star level quite yet. I think he was starting to show a lot of signs of growth in the last 15 or so games before the season ended. And that was probably the most exciting thing for me in those last 15 games in that last stretch, despite the fact that the Nuggets as a whole weren't really clicking Jamal Murray looked like he was taking some steps. He looked like he was taking some strides to get to be the player that I think he can be, that a lot of people have questions about whether he can ultimately reach a higher ceiling. But that's really what it tethers to, what you believe in Jamal Murray and whether he can be that second option for a championship team. I don't have any questions about Nikola Jokic as a first option. I think he's still 25. You're still trying to figure out exactly the best way to maximize him, but you've got a few years to figure that out, and he's going to continue to get better. There's, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. Uh, with Jamal Murray, you're still trying to figure out what he can do and the levels that he can reach, because if he can reach another level, which I believe he can, then this team looks like a, a completely different beast. As we were seeing it unfold, I think the Nuggets were probably heading for a second round exit. I think they're more talented than every team that they could have played in the first round. But in the second round, you're likely to face a team like the Lakers or the Clippers, who the Nuggets just don't really have a lot of answers for. And that's okay. Those teams were built to be title contenders, and the Nuggets had an opportunity to build to be a title contender if they so chose. But they have a wild card in Michael Porter Jr. that they think could be could help them be a title contender for the next five to ten years. So. 
I think that's fine. I think it's it's about taking the steps and it's about being patient with that when you have a young team. And I still think the Nuggets are on the right track, even if that means they don't win a championship this season. Yeah, and I think for for me, my main, I guess what I've kind of said over the last couple of weeks and, and really the last few years or at least the last two years is that this team is extremely young and I think they're a little ahead of schedule on... Uh, where where they're at as far as expectations, and I mean I I think do you believe that this is their are they in their window to win now or are is this something where I guess expectations should be maybe just get to the second round learn a little bit more in the playoffs and then including next year and then two three years from now when guys are twenty six twenty seven twenty eight. Uh, that's their window. Is is that something that you're kind of on the mindset, or, or is it, or or should expectations be, hey, you should be able to get to conference finals or the NBA finals this year and next year? It's so difficult. It's so difficult because there are there are different layers of expectations baked into that. Uh, if you're a team like the Lakers and the Clippers, anything less than a conference finals appearance, and honestly, anything less than an NBA finals appearance would be a bust. If you're the Nuggets, it can be passed off as development because so, they have three players, I think, in Jokic, Murray, and Porter, who you really look at and say, okay, those guys are super young. They're going to be together for a while. If you can keep them together, if you can keep developing them, then good things are going to happen for your franchise long term. Uh, but we're still at the stage where Michael Porter Jr. isn't playing quite yet because he's not quite ready. And and. If you if you use that into your expectations, then I think it, it becomes a little bit more understandable that, hey, the Nuggets just might not be as ready as we thought they were. Uh, the Nuggets have a distinct weakness on their roster in terms of a, a wing defender who can match up with a guy like LeBron or Kawhi physically and and limit them or at least just just make things a little bit more difficult for them. And until they solve that, they're they're never going to be true title contenders, in my opinion. Uh, they could crack the finals. They could find a way to to make it happen. But it just it would surprise me if they did at this point. But that's okay. I think that fans are are getting ahead of themselves in terms of who the players are that they really need to center their minds on. And players like Gary Harris and Will Barton have done a really good job of raising Denver's floor for a long time. They've helped accumulate wins. They've helped be help them get through the regular season and even get through the playoffs in certain instances. But ultimately it's going to come down to Jokic and to Murray and to Porter in terms of how high the ceiling can, of this team can go. And so that's, that's how I really think about it. I think if you're a Nuggets fan, you got to be excited about those guys and just be thankful for the ride that, that you have in the meantime with guys like Paul Millsap, Gary Harris, Will Barton, guys like that. Now you mentioned Jamal Murray a couple times, and this is kind of, for me, it's it's a bit of a bittersweet topic. Now, at the same time, he, he's only 23 years old, just barely turned 23 this season. And, and it feels like even though he's so young, he's been in the league for so long. I mean, he's, he's going, what, into his fourth year, uh, I believe? Um, or he's in his fourth year, going to on, go on five, I believe, if I have that correct. Right. But right. with Jamal, I've always said on multiple times in our podcast and just to anybody I talk to about the Nuggets, Jokic can, can get them to the playoffs. He's good enough alone to where he can carry you to that point. And he, he's probably even good enough to where he can win a series, uh, you know, against a, a, a lower man team or a lesser talented team by himself. 
But when you get to the the Rockets and, and the Mavericks and and even the Lakers and the Clippers and those teams, that's on a different caliber caliber of a, of a team. He needs that second tier or second level guy to come in and help him out. With Jamal, we know his biggest issue is just consistency. He can go out and put up a stretch of 35, 40, and 27 points, and then he'll go out the next three games, and then you might see seven points, 15, 19. Uh, he's just he's so streaky. Do you believe that Jamal can turn into just a star? I, I'm not saying you know a top 10 player, but an all-star caliber type of player. Maybe he's not there every year, but you know if he he has the potential to have an all-star type of year. Do you believe Jamal can hit that? Um, and, and when should we, I guess, relieve him of the pass of, oh, he's still young and he's learning? At what point do we get with an NBA player of, yes, he's young, but you know what? He's been in the league six or seven years. We just know what he is now. When, when do we know that with Jamal? Uh, it's a good question, and and I think that's a developing situation just based off of what the Nuggets decide to do with their roster over the course of the next couple of years. Uh, you have guys like Gary Harris and Will Barton in the starting lineup who have consistently taken a lot of pressure off of Jamal, and so he doesn't have to carry as much of the load. He doesn't have to look like a star all the time. Guys like Will Barton have, have really done a really nice job of making sure that Denver has been in a good situation consistently and and they can continue winning games even if Jamal Murray isn't on his. Uh, I think that one of the quirky things that you had from the 2018-19 playoffs last year, uh, the Nuggets played 14 games, Jamal Murray played over 500 minutes. He's one of only three players who have played over 500 minutes at age 21 or younger, who's in his age 21 season, who averaged 20 points per game during that time. And we think about consistent, consistency. We think about... Uh, and by the way, those other two players were Kobe Bryant and LeBron James What back when they were 21. Uh, you think about consistency and you think about, OK, hey, man, this guy, he went four of 18 one night and he went 14 of 18 the next night. And that's it's just untenable. But you're in a situation where he's still so young. And, and a lot of these guys like James Harden's and Steph Curry's and Damian Lillard's of the world, they are progressing and doing what they're doing at the best parts of their career, 27, 28, 29, 30. Uh, Jamal Murray's still four years away from that. And it's not to give him a pass for a lot of the time that he's been using to develop his game to figure things out, but but those guys came into the league with a bunch of experience already. Uh, Damian Lillard was a four-year college player. Stephen Curry was in college for three years. Uh, James Harden, I think, was in college for two years, but then developed as a sixth man with a, a championship caliber OKC team. So those guys had an opportunity to develop their games before taking on a large role. And, and Jamal's been immediately counted upon to be the second option for this Nuggets team for a while. And he's still figuring the ins and outs of that. I think he's made a lot of progress. I think he's continued to be steady in terms of the upward trajectory. Uh, a lot of people think that he's topped out at the... At this year, I don't necessarily think that. I think he's made strides defensively and as a passer. Um, it's about putting it all together, though. Like you said, it's about being consistent. It's about bringing it every single night. I think within the next couple of years, if you see the same version of Jamal, then you know that that's the version that you're going to get for the rest of his career. If you don't, and he, he could potentially pop. He could potentially be up over 20 points, six assists five rebounds a game and be shooting 40% from three. And those are all-star numbers at that point. And at that point, you're feeling pretty good about the contract that he signed because 
that's what he signed up to do. Let's get back to this season as far as this this roster because when I look at this roster and, and Steve and I discussed this actually uh, a couple weeks ago when the season was announced that we were coming back that let, let's look at this roster and, and we see 10, 11 guys that have been getting minutes throughout the season um, even after the, the departure of uh, Beasley and Wancho and when the playoffs come obviously this rotation is going to get shrunken down to eight maybe nine guys do you see Michael Porter breaking that eight or nine man rotation or are we going to see a playoff run without MPJ and we're going to have to wait till next year where he can um, at least help this team offensively it's probably the biggest question of the playoffs right even beyond what Jamal Murray does, what Nikola Jokic looks like, uh, Michael Porter Jr. and what he does is probably the biggest question that Nuggets fans have going into these playoffs and whether he is going to play. Because you're right, the Nuggets are in the situation where they have a lot of guys who deserve to play. Beyond their five starters of Murray, Harris, Barton, Millsap, Jokic, you have Monte Morris, who's been the consistent backup point guard, six-man type. You have Jeremy Grant, who has been the sixth man and, and occasional s- starter for the Nuggets over the course of this last year. He's looking good. Uh, Mason Plumley has been a big part of what the Nuggets do over the course of the last couple of years. And if you are in need of a backup center, it's really hard to just play Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant there. Sometimes you need a guy like Mason Plumley. Torrey Craig is a, is a very big favorite of Michael Malone. He's obviously going to get minutes in certain situations if the Nuggets are playing an elite guard, which if you look at the playoff picture, if you look at the standings, the Nuggets are probably going to play an elite guard. They're going to they're going to either face a team like Dallas, who have Luka Doncic and Tim Hardaway Jr. and guys like that could play Utah with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley could play Houston with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. I mean, the, the matchups that the Nuggets have in the first round they lead to playing a guy like Torrey Craig, and that's probably what's going to happen. The real question is whether Michael Porter Jr. can get on the floor, as you said, and and I think he's going to get opportunities. I don't think those opportunities are going to be extensive, uh, but it would surprise me if he didn't play. The Nuggets need to know what they have in him. They need to know if he can handle certain situations, and they can't just decide to put him up in a box and say, okay, hey, see you next year, kid. Uh, They have to figure this out. They have to see if he's actually a guy who they can trust to get buckets and be that dynamic mismatch scorer. Uh, And if that's, if that's the case, then he'll play even more. If not, then I think you'll, you'll probably see a lot of Torrey Craig. You'll probably see a lot of Mason Plumlee and guys that Michael Malone trusts to be doing the same, the right thing every single time. And that's, that's just how it's going to go. I think it's 50-50, and I know I'm waffling on that, and that's too bad, but it's it's uh, it really depends on the matchup. It really depends on what version of Michael Porter Jr. we see coming back because if he comes back and he looks like the best player in the gym for the Nuggets, then I think he's probably going to play. When we look at this team, Ryan, and, and Brandon and I have kind of come to this conclusion, as much as we love Jokic, and I think at a certain point in his career he could break – you know, if he hasn't broken the top 10 player in the league mark already, he can he can be that type of guy consistently throughout his career. He has that potential. We just know how great he is. Um, but when you look at this team and the weapons that they currently have, let's say ideally we, we can get Jamal to be his peak potential 
and MPJ works out and he's his peak potential. If they don't, though, can the Nuggets win championships or a championship with Jokic as their best player? Or do they need a guy like Jamal or MPJ to eventually kind of take the reins and be that type of guy? Because Brandon and I, I think, are of the mindset that it's it's harder in today's NBA to to have a team that's built around a center just because it's a dependent position and you know, there's, they're, they're limited in what they can do. And obviously it's become a more positionless league, but it's mainly dominated by guys who are out on the wing, who are more versatile, bigger guys like MPJ, uh, Jamal Murray's to a lesser extent. Can the Nuggets be a consistent championship winner or contender with Jokic as the best player? Or do they need a guy like Jamal Murray or especially MPJ to take over those reins as that guy? First of all, yes, they can. Uh, Nikola Jokic is an elite talent. He's one of the, he's going to go down as a Hall of Famer. I think that's that's almost unequivocal at this point. And it, it depends on whether you think he's going to be a top five player at his peak or a top 10 player. Because I think he's already in the top 10, or at least the back end of that top 10. Uh, pretty clear just based off of where everybody else is at. But once you start aging out certain guys, once you start seeing, okay, LeBron James isn't in the picture anymore. Kevin Durant isn't in the picture. Steph Curry and James Harden have aged out a little bit. I don't see anybody behind Jokic taking over his mantle. Like maybe Zion Williamson, maybe somebody like that. Maybe there's another player that we haven't seen quite yet. But the great thing about Jokic and you talked about centers and being a little bit dependent. Jokic is probably the least dependent center in the NBA. He can handle the basketball. He can continue to bring that ball up. He has the ability to be a playmaker on the perimeter. Uh, he's going to continue to cultivate those skills. And what I'm hoping from a skinnier Jokic is somebody who isn't necessarily in the post all the time is actually filling that role that you talked about somebody who's on the perimeter, somebody who's playmaking a little bit, somebody who can go off the dribble even a little bit. And I think that he can continue to cultivate those skills. Ultimately, you need a top five player to really compete for a championship. If you look at the last few years, we've seen that pretty bar none. Uh, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant have been top five players. LeBron James, of course, in my opinion, is at, at least tied for the greatest player of all time. And uh, Kawhi Leonard has proven that he's a top five player too. Giannis Antetokounmpo is in that conversation. He's a top five player right now, and that's probably your top five at this point. Um, if Jokic can reach that level, then of course. I don't think it necessarily matters whether he's a center, whether he's a point guard. The league is going to shift to the power of its best positions and what those positions look like. And we're going to continue to see with guys like Joel Embiid, Giannis, Carl Anthony Towns, Zion Williamson, bigger guys who are physical, who are just behemoths, but they're also skilled. The league is going to shift around those guys at some point because the guards are actually a little bit lackluster when it comes to development right now. So I'm looking forward to having that conversation in a few years when the best five guys in the NBA are all over 6'8". I guess, okay, so a, a tougher question here. If, let's say the Nuggets come out after this break and they lose in the first or second round. Uh, and next year, you kind of have a similar situation where you got the two LA teams, but Denver still isn't really, I guess, in the mindset of, of most people as a team that can beat either of those teams. And it's just those two again. 
and they go into the playoffs and lose again in the first or second round. Do you believe in in Michael? First off, I love Michael Malone, but we've seen in the past where teams they hire a coach with a young team. That coach develops the young team, and they move on from the head coach and bring in a new voice and a guy who can take them to that next level. Do you believe that Michael Malone can be that guy that can take them to the next level? Or if they do lose in the next few years in the first or second round, do they should they look another direction? Well, it's funny. I think the two biggest examples of coaches who have done that over the last couple of years are... Steve Kerr and Nick Nurse. And those are elite coaches. Those are guys who really came in and immediately set a great standard. And with Steve Kerr, it wasn't just that he came in and, and installed a new offense. It was the fact that he also empowered Draymond Green. It was the fact that he he used his young talent in order to continue to take the next couple of steps. And they ultimately took the final step that they needed to in 2015, and, and they were able to get it done. With Nick Nurse up in Toronto, who was also accompanied by the fact that he had Kawhi Leonard, that they traded DeMar DeRozan, who was kind of a, a general underperformer for most of his career in the playoffs, and they traded him for an overperformer in the playoffs, somebody who's always risen to that occasion in Kawhi, and they ultimately got it done. I think that with Malone, it's not necessarily about him and, and his voice. It's about continuing to empower the young players that make you great. It's about continuing to make sure that they're developing in the best possible way that they can. Uh, if the development of those players stagnates, then the Nuggets may need to look to find a new voice. That's that's just the the fact and the matter is that they they have to continue to look at the best ways for them to improve with the materials that they have. Not a lot of teams have the trade materials to go get a Kawhi Leonard, and like the Nuggets might. They they could be in a situation where hey. Anthony Davis is on the trade market next time or the equivalent of Anthony Davis and the Nuggets didn't trade for him last time, but they might be desperate this time. And that that's something that they do. Um, but it ultimately, like, I think you need to see development from Michael Malone as a coach. I think you need to give him the tools necessary to win a championship because if you give him the same roster without making any tangible changes, tangible upgrades, then I think it's it's fair that he doesn't necessarily win next year. If if he was in that situation and you gave him the same deck of cards versus the teams the same team's other deck of cards, then it doesn't surprise me that he doesn't get over the top. I think that in order to make things work, you have to change things up. You have to figure it out. And if the Nuggets ran back the same team next year, then it would be a surprise to me if they decided to fire Michael Malone because with without at least trying another approach. And speaking of leashes, okay, with this team, let's let's kind of shift that same question, but to the perspective of this roster. At a certain point, when do the Nuggets kind of, I guess, decide to shake things up? Because I think we're all in agreement here that while this team is talented, they still have two teams ahead of them that are just going to be ahead of them, and and they're better, they're just more talented at this point. With a guy like Gary Harris. I don't know how much better Gary can get. And there's there's times where it seems like he's a real weak spot in, in that starting lineup. Uh, with Will Barton, I think you kind of know what you we, what you have in Will Barton. Jeremy Grant, all these guys, you, you just you know what you have. If the Nuggets continue to be a great team, 
make the playoffs, make it to, you know, the second round, maybe get to a Western Conference Finals, but ultimately get bounced. And you mentioned, you know, maybe at a certain point in the future, they trade for the equivalent of an Anthony Davis or, or they go all in for a guy in free agency. What do you think is the leash of this roster and when should the Nuggets look to make a shakeup? Well, I think it's funny that the conversation really has shifted that for a long time, it was about the Nuggets getting out of the first round. And they finally did that in the first year that they were in the playoffs and they look great. They immediately became a second seed and, and they, they took care of business. It, it was, it was a bumpy ride when they did it, but they, they ultimately made it out of the first round and people were very happy about that. Excuse me. Um, I would think that, I think that they have a longer leash than people realize. I think that it's nice to be able to get to a second round into a Western Conference Finals, and this team hasn't really experienced that for a long time. And you take advantage of those situations when you can. Just being a very consistently really good team is a good thing. It's not necessarily all about winning the championship. It's about consistently putting out a great, great product for your fans and for the teams that you love. And even if this team weren't weren't able to win a championship, I think it's very rare that a team like this were to win a championship in their history. The Nuggets, for a reason, haven't won a championship. It's been mostly the Lakers and the and the Celtics and the Bulls and teams in large markets or teams with the the highest superstars. That the the pantheon of talent, if you will. Uh, if you believe in Nikola Jokic, and I do, I think he's one of those talented players that can ultimately get his team over the top. Um, if that doesn't happen, and you feel like you're stuck in a rut, and you feel like this team could potentially get to a situation where we feel like we're one piece away. We feel like we have the rest of the team kind of assembled and ready to go, but we just need one more guy. Then I think the Nuggets do make that move. I think they try to take themselves over the top. I don't see that happening over the next... I, I think they could potentially trade Gary Harris. They could potentially trade Will Barton, and they could see, okay, hey, we need to rise another level to be able to try to become a title contender. Um, and that could happen as soon as this offseason. I don't know. I, I think that the pandemic and, and a lot of the situations that have arisen from the pandemic and delaying the season as much as it has, that might affect that in some way. But this team like I've been talking about, they still have another level to go. Michael Porter Jr., Jamal Murray, I still think that those guys have a higher ceiling to reach. And until you see what that ceiling is, I think it's at least justifiable and you say, okay, we don't know where this team could go yet, so we're gonna we're just going to stick it out until they do. Um, I think that that decision probably comes in the next two years, but not too soon before that. And I think for for this team, it's it's easy to say that they're arguably one of the most, if not the most interesting teams in the NBA, just with the the type of unique talent that they have on this team. I mean, you already look at a guy like Jokic, um, a player like him with with as much offensive ability he has, and he might be an even better passer and and playmaker than he is offensively and then you look at the potential of a guy like Jamal Murray and then we know what MPJ can do I mean he sh he's shown us the flashes of what he can be and then that's not even to mention a guy like Bull Bull who hasn't even touched the court yet who's you know seven foot plus and just looks like he has the same type of capabilities 
uh, of a guy like Kevin Durant, someone who can handle and shoot. Right. Now, that's not saying that he can be Kevin Durant, because I mean, I think Kevin, in my mind, is going to go down as one of the best, if not the best scorers of all time. But you have all these unique pieces. Are the Nuggets right now, or are they going to be at a certain point, the most interesting team in terms of the type of talent that they have, do you think? I think it's already a, it's a good argument right now until the point that Michael Porter Jr. is playing over 30 minutes a night. I think I can I can realistically argue that, no, that's probably not the case. Uh, interestingly enough, around Jokic, you have a lot of traditional pieces, a lot of guys who in the traditional NBA for a long time would have been successful. Monte Morris is your very stereotypical, solid backup point guard, a guy who you can who you feel like you can rely on all the time. Gary Harris, three and D wing grinder somebody who's not necessarily super tall but makes the most of what he has and is gonna go to put up a good fight will barton a lot of the same principles with him grinder somebody who is definitely going to give you his best and but he his the dynamics in his game are very similar to guys that we've seen in the past uh until we see a guy like porter and a guy like bull bull in in their in their entirety I don't know if we can go as far beyond and say, okay, hey, look, the Nuggets are a more unique team than Zion Williamson's New Orleans Pelicans or somebody like that. Or, uh, well, even still, like, I mean, there there aren't that many teams that are that can really challenge the Nuggets for being a unique right. style. They they play one of the one of the most unique styles in the NBA, led by the most unique superstar, in my opinion. So I think you at least have a really good argument there. Uh, I love to see what Jokic does when when he's running the five one pick and roll with Jamal Murray when he's doing those dribble handoffs and then pulls the ball back and then lobs it over the top to a a cutter who dunks it or or just gets in right into the middle of the lane for a layup. Uh, he does so many great things and being the dynamic player that he is, doing the things that he does on a consistent basis. I think it's fair to say that nobody has done that to the combination that Jokic has ever. So I think you're you're probably right in saying that, hey, this team is super dynamic and it will only get more dynamic and interesting when Michael Porter Jr. continues to play. And we see Bull Bull on the court for the first time because the final form of the Nuggets involves Michael Porter Jr., Bull Bull, and Nikola Jokic on the floor at the same time. And that's basically like a, a three-headed dragon. Yeah, my God. Uh, that that I mean, <laughs> just thinking about what those guys could be at their peak. I mean, if they all reach that, I just... Good Lord, I don't know how you even surpass <laughs> anything like that. Uh, and that's just hoping that these, even if these guys could get to 75% of, of what they could actually be. You know, if, if MPJ could be a poor man's version of, of Kevin Durant, if Bull Bull could be a similar type of guy, just a stretch big who can handle, and we know with his length, I mean, he he can protect the rim like nobody's business. I mean, it's just crazy to think about. This is an argument that I see a lot on Twitter, and I'm sure you see it a lot as well. And there's there's three centers really in the NBA right now, young centers that you can look at and say, okay, these guys are, are pretty dominant. They're very great talents. It, you know, it's Cat, it's Jokic, and it's Embiid. I think I don't I don't think Cat is on the level of Jokic and Embiid necessarily. Um, I think he's a great talent, but I think it's it's really between Jokic. And Embiid, and I see a lot of people argue for Embiid a lot, especially Sixers fans. Obviously, I think for me personally, Embiid has more physical potential and ability. 
Um, I think he's a little bit better polished defensively already. But as you mentioned, Jokic is making strides in that area. But at the end of the day, if you had to choose one and you're starting your franchise with a center, are you going Jokic or are you going Embiid and why? I'm going Jokic. And while that may sound biased, I, I can make a pretty cogent argument on, on why it's pretty simple. Jokic is a guy who drives elite offense. And in the NBA, you need somebody who can drive elite offense for himself, for other people, in order to be an NBA champion. The Sixers last year had so much talent on their roster. Ben Simmons is a guy who continues to get all-star nods and, and credit for, for being the player that he is, the, the elite defender that he is, the ball handler that he is. Jimmy Butler last year was an elite player. You could see what he's doing in Miami. Like Having him on that same roster in Philly, at least in retrospect, you could say, hey, look, that team was really, really good. Tobias Harris was the fourth or fifth best starter. Uh, those guys, very, very good, very, very dynamic. And at the end of the day, the Nuggets still had a better record than them in a better conference. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why the Nuggets have been able to consistently outperform the Sixers when it comes to these discussions. Uh, it's because of Jokic. It's because of the consistency that he puts out there. He makes more shots. He continues to create shots for other players. His defense has consistently been underrated. And I am of the opinion that you need strong offense in today's NBA to win a championship. And I don't know how you form a strong elite offense around Embiid that doesn't necessarily compromise some of the defensive stuff that they do. They have so many great defensive players on their roster, but a lot of those guys are limiting offensively. And I think you can see that Embiid isn't able to make up for that in the clutch, in a lot of situations where they need a bucket. If you have a guy who can go at him, then you're good. The only guy that's been able to go at Jokic is Anthony Davis. And even that, like we've, we've still seen Jokic have some really good performances against AD and he's figuring that out and he's even younger than Embiid. So Ultimately, at the end of the day, I'm going to trust the guy who I can feel like is going to give me the best possible offense. He's not going to compromise the defense. Jokic, in my opinion, more consistent, less problems to do with injuries. And I, I just think that that's the, the ultimate factor that you have to have in this discussion. Jokic is the guy that can take you over the top from an offensive perspective. And I'm not sure Embiid is that guy. Right. I'm, I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at the standings right now. And... With Denver as a three seed, um, when when they do return, we got eight games to go uh, until they hit the playoffs, and their schedule isn't the friendliest. Uh, could you see a situation? They're only a game and a half ahead of Utah uh, for that third seed, and they are only two and a half games ahead of Houston, which Houston is in the sixth seed right now. Uh, could you see a situation where? And they're four games behind Dallas or ahead of Dallas, who's the seven seed. Could you see a situation where they could possibly drop? Yeah, I could see a situation. I think it's less likely than you think. Uh, the Utah Jazz are in disarray. Like, given the fact that they were basically the team that started all of this discussion with with Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell both testing positive for coronavirus, there have been a lot of ramifications that have come down from that. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich had offseason surgery and he's not going to be available for any playoffs that this team does. Uh, Rudy Gobert is in trade rumors right now. And he, even though they're, they're saying that they're mending the rift between him and Donovan Mitchell, 
once you open up that glass box, it's really hard to it's really hard to put that away, if you know what I mean. There there are some things that they're going to have to discuss that they're going to have to figure out that may just go beyond discussion, that may be too past the point of return. So they are the only team, in my opinion, that can realistically catch the Nuggets. Because if the Nuggets go four and four, for example, that means that OKC and Houston would have to go seven and one in order to catch Denver. And I think that's too tough of a task when everybody is playing somebody really good. You could get hot and maybe maybe OKC, maybe Houston continues to get hot and they they go eight no or seven and one, in which case, good on them. They they earned it at that point. But if you're the Nuggets, you also have a little bit of control in your hands where if you go five and three, you're probably good. I don't see Utah going seven and one in that case, which is what they would have to do in order to cross over Denver from the three seed. The Nuggets are still going to be good. They they have some of the most continuity of these teams that are coming back. I think their starting lineup is the team that or the lineup that has played the most minutes in the NBA this year. And with that continuity, you get a lot of trust. Those guys know exactly what those what their teammates are going to do, and they're going to figure that out. They're going to be fine. Uh, I trust the Nuggets to finish with the three seed. They may even get the two seed, though. I think that that's a lot less likely too, though they do have that in their power because they do play the Clippers. And if if they were to win against the Clippers, they'd only need to make up one extra game at that point. So it's interesting. I think they're probably locked into the three seed if they do anywhere close to where they're supposed to be. But we'll see. Ryan, last one for me. Um, and when we finally, hopefully, uh, get this get this thing going and we get the season underway, how do you see this playing out for the Nuggets? What do you see as their ceiling? Um, you know, best case scenario, obviously they win the finals, but realistically, if you had to look at it as objectively as you can, how do you see all of this playing out for the Nuggets? Their realistic ceiling is the conference finals, and here's why. This Orlando bubble is going to be a really, really interesting experiment that the NBA is doing. And some guys are going to handle it well. Some guys are not going to handle it well. Uh, if you're a team, if you're a team like the Clippers and one of your stars doesn't necessarily handle it well, or if you're a team like the Lakers and Anthony Davis is struggling, then there's a there's a realistic chance for the Nuggets to outperform one of those two teams. I think it's unrealistic to say that they would outperform both of them in succession, which means that if they get to the conference finals, I think it would be really difficult for them to get to the NBA finals at that point. But I think the realistic ceiling is probably the conference finals. What I what I see happening is that those teams, the ones that have championship aspirations, they get all their ducks in a row, they figure things out, and the Nuggets ultimately bow out in the second round to a team that's better than them, like the Clippers or the Lakers or whoever they face at that level. Um, those teams just happen to have at least one of the top three players in the NBA and that ultimate gap between talent from from your first and second player on that team to your first and second player on the Nuggets is is too large at this point to make that up and that's okay the Nuggets are still young Jamal Murray's 23 uh Nikola Jokic is 25 LeBron James is 35 and Kawhi Leonard I think he's just 28, 29, Paul George is in that age range as well. So those guys, they've been around the block. They know how they're going to do. Um, but we're going to see. We're going to ultimately figure that out. And and I don't think the Nuggets are going to lose in the first round. I guess it's possible that they do, but I think they're going to come back prepared and, and really wanting to get this done because I think that they, they do have high expectations for themselves. And 
usually that comes with reality. All right, man. Ryan Blackburn of the Denver Stiffs. Thanks so much for taking out the time. Uh, I mentioned earlier you host two uh, two shows, Nuggets Numbers and Denver Stiffs Show. You're also the site manager for the Denver Stiffs. Is there anything that you want to promote or pub right now? Um, you got anything new coming out? What should uh, listeners be on the lookout for uh, coming from you? Well, I just I just did a, a podcast on that that dropped on Tuesday morning. That that if anybody's interested, that's that's Nuggets numbers. That's a Q and A that I like to do with the audience. Uh, but the the main thing probably. I, I did a deep dive on Nikola Jokic and and some of the film study with him and what this team is going to look like, what he may look like when he's skinnier, how the Nuggets may play like that, how he'll play. And I do a lot of things like that where I try to explain things with stats, with video, try to try to get into the analysis side of things. And if you're interested in that, then then head on down to Denver Stiffs and I hope to see you there. Awesome. That is Ryan Blackburn of the Denver Stiffs. If you want to follow him on Twitter, at NBA Blackburn. Ryan, we can't thank you enough for the time today, man. And and hopefully when we get things started here, uh, they surpass all of our expectations and and they're hoisting a uh, a trophy in Orlando in that bubble. Hopefully that's the, the plan. Hoping so, Steven. Thanks for having me, guys. We want to thank Ryan for again hopping on with us. A lot of great nuggets information there. And hopefully, you know, these nuggets can uh surprise all of us and 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 hoist that that Larry O'Brien in that Orlando bubble. We'll see if it happens or we'll see if LeBron James will crush my dreams uh, as a Nuggets fan, as Kobe once did and and Tim Duncan and, and all those teams, Utah Jazz, Darren Williams, Carlos Boozer. God, I hated those teams. Hated those teams. <laughs> I'm scarred. As a Nuggets fan, you're just permanently scarred. If this is what Remember it's like when to be... they lost to the Clippers in the first round that one year? <sighs> oh, my Ooh. God. Yeah, they, they just... Golden State... If this is what it's like to be, it can't be comparable to being a Browns fan, but if this is what it's like, like I'm trying to think of an NFL equivalent of a team that's that's good and, and gets to the playoffs, but they just get kind of booted. Maybe, honestly, a good, good comparison. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. A good comparison before they won the Super yeah. Bowl is probably the Chiefs. A team that, you know, seems to be good. They kick the Chargers, down. I guess, is that yeah, new Chargers team. Chargers, too. Yeah. Yeah, so if this is what it's like to to be those those teams fans, well, the Chargers don't have fans, so suck that. <laughs> no, uh, but no. the Chiefs before if the they Super did Bowl, have fans, yeah, I I feel your pain, hundred <laughs> percent. But before we wrap today's show, we want to hit on a couple things from around the world of sports. Uh, did you see Drew Locke is getting the offense together, running some uh, some practices? Some There's rumors. Practices? No, There's I've seen rumors. them. There's pictures. <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm just I'm just making fun of uh, uh Oh, yeah, yeah, no. I was going to say I saw the picture. I saw the evidence. <laughs> no. Philip Lindsay yeah, no. Was it's out funny cuz the coaches can't say, "Oh yeah, they've been doing it." And, you know. Yeah. yeah, no. Yeah, Pat Shermer's <laughs> like, "Uh, I can't confirm or deny that <laughs> wink wink." But Drew Locke, I mean, how cool is that mm-hmm. though for a second-year quarterback who only played 5 games last year? I think that says a lot about who he is. Obviously, he still has a lot to prove on the field. Uh we saw great flashes, but I think this is the the right step in a direction for a guy like Drew Locke getting his teammates together um, and really not only establishing himself as a leader on this team, uh, accountability, but really just trying to get himself and his teammates better in in a makeshift offseason. Yeah, well, and it's it's funny because look, he he has the he has a talent. We all see the talent. We've seen it in flashes. 
Um, I think the the main thing for quarterbacks when they come into the league is that mental side. And for me, I mean, seeing him going out there and and working out with his receivers and um, being that that leader, that's that's a huge, like that's a that's huge uh, for for him and for the team. Uh, and you know him calling Peyton and talking to Peyton Manning how he ran those workouts in in the off season and uh, those are all things that you know when when Jay Cutler came into the league and we were all excited about his talent and you know him playing you know with Brandon Marshall and and the the the, the talent that they had on that team we never really saw that leadership from Jay that we're already seeing from, from Drew Locke. And that's something that is really encouraging, really exciting to see as a, as a Broncos fan. Now, again, like you said, you got to put it all together once you get on the field. But, I mean, this gives them a, an, an immediate advantage entering into, if there is going to be a season, entering the season because now you have that chemistry that you probably shouldn't really have, <laughs> you know, when you're talking about a guy who's going to start uh, for the first time a whole regular season, hopefully, with rookie receivers, with two rookie receivers who are probably going to be uh, at least in their, what, the top four as, as far as the position goes. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is big time for, for the Broncos. Speaking of that, did you see the workout videos of Jerry Judy yes. and KJ Hamler? Yeah. Like, sweet mama. I mean, Jerry Judy, he was moving fast, but KJ Hamler, he's like the roadrunner. Like, Mimi, like, I was watching him physically turn <laughs> that and sound shift his, <laughs> shift his, like, I, I just didn't know how yeah. that was physically possible, just how explosive he is. I was like, oh my God. That's that's like Tyreek Hill type of speed. And even if he could just be a fraction of Tyreek Hill, that that would just be I mean, at least the, the player on the field, not, not not off the field. But I mean, oh, my God, I was just like, how is that even my hamstrings and calves would have cramped up? I would have fell. I would have, ah, ah, I can't do it after that. <laughs> yeah, first well, I have video of you falling in a race. So, yeah. Well, okay, your ankle would have gave out after the first <laughs> step. So don't don't even go there with me. Weak ankles. Speaking <laughs> of weak moves, uh, Kyle Shanahan gets a new extension. Uh, they completely ripped up his old one. He's, I believe they gave him a six-year contract with the 49ers. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, he signed through 2025. Uh, why is this a weak move? Well, it reminds the Denver Broncos <laughs> of their weak move to not go with Kyle Shanahan, but with Vance Joseph. Ouch. And... Uh, when you when you look at that move in hindsight, obviously one guy made it to a Super Bowl and one guy got fired and now is coaching a bad defense in Arizona. I mean, does John Elway is he kicking himself for this? Do you think, or do you think he's kind of moved on and and is excited about where this team is headed? He's probably he's probably are. moved on, but all of Denver hasn't. Um, look, I mean, at that time, I was I was. The, one of the one of the people at one of the many people who wanted an offensive minded head coach uh because i i get why you would want a defensive head coach because of what that defense was but at the same time i feel like you want your head coach to be actually one of your weak points 
because at least like if, if at that time you had a team coming off of a were they coming off of that the, the season after the Super Bowl right where they went what eight and eight I believe nine and seven. did Gary stick around for the yeah he stuck around the next right year he stuck around for one more year so again you had yeah. a top five defense and you had a, an offense that was in the bottom five, I believe, or maybe bottom 10. I don't know how bad the offense was, but... It, that first four games, though, they were humming, baby. Yeah. Trevor Simeon was looking <laughs> like he was going to be a pro bowler. And he eventually turned well, into he, one yeah, you know, well, an alternate. In a default. But, you know. um, but, like, at that point, even if, you, even if you're talking about now, and you look at a team, and I can't really think of a team right now, but who has a great defense and who has a trash offense, right? And you need a head coach. Are you going to go after a defensive head coach when your defense is already great? Or would you go after an offensive-minded head coach that can help build a an offense from essentially from scratch? I mean, what like ideally, what would you do? And, and we saw the 49ers for example, who had actually a solid defense at that time and they just, their offense was, they didn't have a quarterback yet. And that's the year that they went ahead and traded for Garoppolo, right? So, like, they did what you're probably supposed to do, and is, which is hire the head coach that fits your weak point because you need your head coach to come in and improve your team. And if your defense is already great, there's no improvement there. You can only go down. So, so you know, I mean, unless you're so desperate, in which probably John Elway was, he was so desperate in keeping that defense where they were that he just completely ignored the offense. And unfortunately, like, I, I don't know. I don't know why he was so, I guess because they won with that defense and having a bad offense. But at the same time, your offense had Peyton Manning. So it's just that wasn't. I mean, that was like a lightning. Sh- like you, you, sh- you hit lightning with that with that Super Bowl Fifty team. You really did. Like that was that's that was never going to happen again. There was no way you were gonna able to repeat. So why, why, why? I just why why did John Elway? hire a defensive minded head coach in that situation. It just it, it made it and not just a defensive minded head coach, but a a young head coach. A guy who's never been a coach before. I mean that's just I don't know. It it it, it really and I get Shanahan was a, a, a young you know, a young guy at that time, still is, and uh you know, he'd never been a head coach before. But it's just it's just mind boggling looking back at you know, I don't think was was Shanahan even a top. Was he a top two guy? Uh, in terms of like a candidate, yeah, I'm sure he was a a hot candidate. You have to remember too, VJ. I mean, well, at least for Denver, him, like was was it between yeah, Vance Joseph well, he, and? I remember him being, or was. Um, I don't know. I think the interest was always more from him in this job mm-hmm. than than Denver to him. Uh, but you have to remember too, at least Shanahan at that point coming off of that Atlanta Super Bowl, I mean, he had experience as an offensive coordinator. Vance Joseph barely had a year yeah. of defensive coordinating experience. So you not only hired a guy who had no experience as a head coach, but you brought in a guy that was so young uh, in terms of being a, a coordinator. 
And and even then, his his defense wasn't good at all. Mm-hmm. So it was just a mistake from the jump. Uh, he was branded as this leader of men. And, you know, not everything was VJ's fault. You know, he got sacked with <laughs> terrible quarterbacks. Right. So, I mean, there was nothing he could do there. And bad, he he really came at the worst possible time. I mean, Elway had, was, it was stringing together bad drafts. Like, they were mm-hmm. just just nothing i mean he was just chucking those things up like yeah here's another one here's another one and another one and it was it was just it was destined to fail from the beginning and and it did speaking of failures madden (laughs) was released (laughs) and madden 21 i should say the trailer not not the game the trailer was released both you and i watched the trailer and both of our first thoughts was this looks like the exact same i played this five years ago yeah, I, I've been playing this ever since, uh, and it's uh, at, a, at a certain point, it's almost like, and I get it, and we were talking about this off air, and uh, to me, like, there's only so much you can do, but you suggested, you know, hey, why don't they do, like, an NFL street type of mode, uh, you know, bring back my career mode uh, in Madden and all this type when of it's stuff, like- and, and yeah, there's probably ways that they could improve it, but the core of the game i just don't know how you can make it better graphics wise mm-hmm. how much better can you really make it uh, unless the the when the new consoles come out i'm sure it'll go up a level but also too you were saying i mean with you know pcs are always going to hold that crown over console games so it's like right. at a certain point you're going to hit a wall right and well and like that's the thing is the the game you know developers or whatever they they make these games based around the consoles I mean, if if you if you base the game around the best PC you could you could possibly get, it would be incredible, right? Because you could do way more. Uh, but unfortunately, like for for example, with Madden, they have they've had a max, and they probably hit that max at least with the Xbox One and the PS4, probably yeah. four years ago. So that's why we've gotten this literally the same exact game four years in a row. But that's also no excuse because you look at games like, you know, well, just other games in general that have been able to at least, you know, come out with new modes or um, just do different things. I mean, my I remember when the uh, uh, what was it called? Was it called Superstar Mode when it first came out? Yeah. Like 2000 and yeah, I, so. I, what, what Madden was that? Was that Madden like 06, 07? I mean, it was a long time ago, and that's still the best superstar yeah, mode I played. I've pl- at least my career mode or whatever that I played on Madden over the years. The very first one <laughs> was the best one. So, like, how can you go backwards from that? So, like, that's I guess that's the problem that most people have had is like, yeah, you can hit a max as far as graphics and what you can do as far as like what you can do in those modes like specifically but you can also do what 2k has done and come out with a new story mode every year and at least make it good and you know change the the uh, the my career mode or whatever and at least you know make it like like 2k like nba 2k has done college you know coming out of high school undrafted you know different things different challenges that you have to kind of um i guess get over right but in Madden, it's just like, eh, yeah, pick whatever team. You start at like an 85 overall and just play. Like, that's that's all they've given. So, I don't know. It's yeah. uh, it's pretty disappointing. I was kind of hoping with new consoles being released that they would make the game 
uh, based off of those, but it looks like they just kept their max at the PS4 and Xbox One. So they just rewrapped the same gift and, and gave it right back to you. You're like, oh, yep. thanks, an avocado. I love it. Uh, and finally, in other news, in, in baseball related news, uh, baseball still sucks and they're not coming back anytime <laughs> soon. So uh, that's so that's there's a show all you got going on to baseball. So <laughs> that's uh, that's really all you need to know. Uh, but no, I mean, it, seriously, I, I think they might have a lost season yeah. this year. I mean, there's the 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 uh, I believe the players or the, the owner the owners didn't they didn't even submit a counter offer mm-hmm. to the last offer. They were just like, screw it, <laughs> we're we're just not doing this. Well, and one thing Sealy came out and said that talks are futile. Mm-hmm um it just it just looks like it's a really bad situation for mlb yeah and and one thing that concerns me though is looking at the mlb and them not being able to start the season was pretty much the reason why this is all happening whereas i think if they got maybe a month or two into the season i don't think it'd be as big of an issue and you know kind of like the nba and the nhl they're able to kind of bring things back and restart the season one thing that I'm concerned about with the NFL is they're not really, I mean, I at least I haven't seen anything. I don't know if they're really coming up with a plan B. And that's a bit concerning. Now, the NFL and the NBA have an advantage where they make a lot of their money from TV. So that's understandable that they should be at least a little bit more prepared than the MLB because they don't make they make most of their money from concessions and ticket sales and all that. So, you know, in my mind, when the NFL when we hit August, September, when, you know, preseason games obviously I'm sure preseason games will just be in an empty stadium, more like, you know, practice scrimmages. But once the regular season comes, I still don't think they're gonna be able to have fans in the stadium. Uh, at least, you know, not very many. So is I just I'm concerned about as far as with their situation, if they're going to be able if they're going to be in a similar situation as the MLB, as far as, you know, you're you have all this time to prepare and you still don't have a plan B. Like, I don't know. I Have you heard anything as far as them? Like, OK, if we're in the same situation as we are in now and we can't have fans in the stadium, what do we do? How do we make money? Can we even do this? Can we even go on with the season? Right. You know, you got you have 53 players, not counting the staffs, the coaching staff, the you know training staff, whatever. You have between 50 and 100 people, or at least, well, probably 70 to 100 people for each team. So are you going to be mm-hmm. in, and it's not like, you know, you have Orlando where you have a bunch of basketball courts where you can run multiple games like a summer league right like the nba can so right it's what what do what does the nfl do i mean are are these teams really going to travel from city to city i i just i don't i haven't heard anything about the nfl coming up with a backup plan and they're so arrogant and there's they and they've always been like this where they are the they are the last the last league Maybe the MLB and them are tied. The last league to actually step up and do the right thing. And they've always been like that. And that's where we can always look at the NBA and say, you know, and, and Adam Silver and say, you know, well done for 
for being prepared for all of these things, for all of these issues and coming up with new ways to innovate. And the MLB and the NFL haven't done that. And I'm really concerned about the NFL not doing anything right now. And they're just like, yeah, well, I'm sure it'll be better in September. Like, I mean, I'm pretty sure the NBA, when they postponed everything, they're like, yeah, we'll be back in June. And, you know, it's June 16th, and we're still not sure if the league is going to come back. So, I don't know. I'm I'm very concerned with about the NFL, and I'm not sure we're going to even have an NFL season. Yeah, the NFL is kind of taking the approach of like, oh, there's a small fire starting on the stove, <laughs> right. but I have the window open. Hopefully the wind just comes in and blows it out. I'm just going to continue to watch TV and hope it goes away as the flame continues to get larger and engulf. And this is why, and, and before all this happened, my stance on, on sports, even though I wanted sports back, I just felt like, listen, and, and this was just before you know the MLB dispute about money and all mm-hmm. that. I just felt like with this virus, it's just it's it's too complicated. Let's just wait it out. I know it's going to suck, but let's just wait it out and wait till we're at least somewhat more ahead of this thing. And then we can figure out ways to just get things going back to normal, at least somewhat. These leagues wanted to get back to starting. I get it. It's not as simple of let's just put it off because there's so many people and businesses that drive profits off of you know, sports, you know, whether it's bar owners, concession stand workers. So it's not as easy as saying, let's just hold it off. But in terms of sports itself, I think it was better to wait. But now we're in the situation of, and and you have to consider too, with all the protests going on mm-hmm. and, and people, you know, state bans are being lifted in terms of stay at home orders. Everybody's getting out and about again. And it's inevitable that the virus, and we were talking about this with Ryan Blackburn, the virus is going to come back to a certain extent. Right. And now you're starting to see that. And now you might see players test positive. We saw Zeke just tested positive and Houston Texans test positive. And, you know, Jokic was exposed to someone in, in Belgrade that had the virus. And it's like, I just felt like, man, if there was ever a time we could have just been like, listen, let's just take a break. That was the time. Uh, and now we're starting to see some of these kind of hidden issues that may have been overlooked resurface or surface for the first time so and i'm with you i don't i don't know how the nfl is going to approach this with with a season and yeah. and in terms of you know how many fans are going to be allowed are there going to be fans at all it's if a player tests positive you know and there's more guys in a locker room so say you're, you're down 20 guys um or 30 guys or your head coach gets it. i mean it's it's so complicated it's a crazy time we're living in but to be honest, I don't know if baseball is coming back in, in the NFL season. I would say I was probably maybe 80% sure a couple months back that we're going to have it. Now I'm probably like 60% sure. And in terms of the NBA, if you asked me a week or two weeks ago, I'm sure if you asked both of us, hey, are we going to have the, have the NBA back? Yeah, for sure we're going to have it back. Now eh, I'm 70, 60% sure we're going to have a season. So, And with baseball, it's like you know 10%. You know, who knows if that's going to happen, but yeah. honestly, guys, are you really missing anything at that point? I mean, there's too many innings, you know, <laughs> fall asleep. I mean, it's just, are, are we really missing it? I'm just kidding. If we have baseball listeners, I'm kidding. I want you to still listen. Look, if baseball was the only I, sport in the world, I would not I'm be not a sports, sports fan. Yeah. I'm not watching sports. I'm sorry. I will not watch stickball <laughs> unless 
and here, here's here's what I tell my, my baseball fans all the time. Four innings. Hear me out. This <laughs> is how you can improve the game. Cut the innings in half. Five innings. Two outs. 15-second <laughs> pitch clock. Start a runner on the base. Two strikes. Three balls. Boom. Let's go. Let's do it. That's how you can get baseball fun again. Hell, allow fighting at some point. <laughs> Let's let's do that too. Why yeah, not? Yeah, once once you get on base, you have to rock paper scissors to get to the next base. Ah, uh, yes, yes. <laughs> you have to get on a tightrope and try and make it to second base that way. If you don't fall, you can stay on the base. Add tackling. If you get tackled on base, you're out. <laughs> yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. See, we just made baseball better in in a minute. <laughs> Boom. But that'll do it for today's show. We want to thank you guys for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed the conversation with Ryan Blackburn. Uh, we thought it was super mm-hmm. informative. A great follow on Twitter if you want to follow him, at NBA Blackburn, host of Nuggets Numbers and Denver Stiffs show. Uh, he is the site manager of the Denver Stiffs. So go out and check out his content and all that stuff he has going on. We want to thank him again for joining us. For Brandon Stoll, I'm Stephen Priest. This has been the Behind the Glass Sports Podcast. We'll see you guys on Friday.